All right, welcome to everybody out there. Uh, today is December the 7th. That is uh, Pearl Harbor Day. Let's, let's look at this. Hey, National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day is today. Uh, 80 years ago uh, was the attack on Pearl Harbor. And, uh, you know, uh, I've never been there. Uh, several of our people on the show tonight have been there. Uh, I'm sure they got to see the memorial. There's the, uh, that's the USS uh, Arizona, I think, below the monument, the uh, memorial there. And they just uh, left it there and made a memorial out of it. So it was some uh, tough things going on back then. But uh, here we go, December 7th, 80 years ago. Everybody just keep that in your memory. So, uh, again, welcome everybody to Amateur Radio Roundtable. This show is about ham radio. I like to also think it's about shortwave. Uh, Many of us got started in ham radio listening to shortwave uh, on the old, old big tube sets uh, many years ago, and uh, it was a lot of fun. If you're out there listening tonight on International Shortwave on WBCQ on 7490 kilohertz, man, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know where you are and give us a signal report and uh, we'll get you a QSL card from the station. Uh, we're, we're low power. We're not a high power shortwave station. We're only running 50,000 watts, but uh, it is heard uh, in places. Uh, I tuned in uh, a couple weeks ago to the show uh, uh, using some remote uh, SDRs and I listened to the show from Iceland and Mexico and places like that. So. Let us know where you are. You can send that uh, signal report and uh, email to tom at w5kub.com. Tom at w5kub.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you will, we need you to hit the subscribe button. We've got a lot of people that haven't subscribed that come to the show every week. But uh, if you'll hit the subscribe button, it really greatly helps us. And it helps uh, YouTube to advertise our show so please hit that subscribe button, and uh, we uh, we appreciate that. Uh, join our Facebook group. We got a great ham radio Facebook group. We've got over twelve thousand hams in that group. Uh, it's a great group of guys and gar- girls. And uh, just uh, search for W5KUB uh, in Facebook, or, or you can search for Amateur Radio Roundtable. Either one. And uh, it'll pull that up. And please, uh, please join our Facebook group there. Uh, Going to have a great show tonight. Uh, we've got Katie's back with us. We've got the LDG guys with us. Alan, Glenn, uh, the team's all here tonight. So let's just kind of go around the room and say hello to those that are uh, uh, in here with us tonight. So let's see who's up first. Looks like Glenn is up first. Glenn, how you doing, Glenn? I'm doing real good. Finally... I can say that the lab workbench is now clear and ready to go. Uh, I have been in contact with ARRL, and we have a couple of QST articles in the mix. And um, the lab should get fired up, hopefully sometime this weekend after all the Christmas parties. And I'm doing a, an online uh, forum for uh, a club. And... Uh, just you know, the usual. It never slows down around here. All right. Well, um, where's your next ham fest going to be? Where are you heading? 
my next ham fest is going to be in Collinsville, Indiana, Illinois, which is right across the river from St. Louis on January 22nd. Okay, well, that's not far, man. You'll come right no, through here. No, not far off at all. Yeah, yeah. They call it Winterfest 2022. Well, that's pretty good. And I think the following weekend is Jackson, Mississippi. Well, your uh, assignment is to take pictures and come back and tell us all about it, okay? I'll do it. All right, let's see who else is up out here. Let's see, let's see. Who we got here, man? I don't know. I think we need to bring in Katie next. How you doing, Katie? Katie, hello, Katie. Here I am. Sorry, I had to get on off of mute. Hi, Tom. Hi, everybody. Hey. <clears throat> nice to be back. Can Good. you hear me okay? Uh, we're hearing you fine. Okay. We had a little technical difficulty, and of course, before the show, my computer insisted on doing an update, so you never quite know what happens after well, that. Look, hey, hey, during the music, during our pre-show music... People were reading uh, your motions, oh. and obviously uh, they picked up on you have a shoulder problem. So you want to tell us about it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I've been um, I've been dealing with some severe shoulder pain for a few months now. It's been um, since early September, and finally got in to see the doctor, then offer physical therapy, and so after a bunch of things we've tried, she my. My doctor uh, therapist was like, all right, I can't fix you. we got to send you back to the doctor. So now I'm just waiting to get in for um, see the doc and get an MRI and probably surgeries in my future. But it's, um, you know, it's definitely a rotator cuff issue. Just not exactly sure if there's a tear or what. But it pretty much gives me pain all the time. So I'm really tired by the end of the work day, which in and of itself is kind of exhausting working in public health these days and, and working on prevention work that I do. So that's why I haven't been around as much lately, guys. Is, um, I, just, I feel bad, but I just honestly, by the time I've been getting home from work, I'm just so wiped out between, you know, living with the pain in my shoulder and then just super busy at work. But I'm still around, and um, I just may not be here every week, um, but I'll definitely be shooting to be here at least once a month, if not more. Um, so, but tonight worked out that we could, I could come on and join in and I'm really excited to see my friends from LDG here tonight. So looking forward to hearing what they have to say and, and seeing everybody again. So hi everybody in the chat as well. And, um, I'll keep, we'll keep moving around the room. So it's good to be back. All right. Well, great. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have been asking about you and, uh, you and I've been talking a little about things and as i mentioned to you briefly earlier we had a board of uh our board meeting last night and we discussed you <laughs> I, I think the discussion lasted a couple hours at least oh my dear <laughs> anyway the the final outcome was that uh you need to take what time you need to take and we're not gonna we're, we're gonna keep your same salary and we're gonna keep your same benefits Okay. So uh, <laughs> as long as you're, you know, as long as you check in with us every few weeks or a month or something, just whenever you, whenever you can, we know you're very busy there uh, in your new job. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I can call it new anymore. It's been over a year, but um, it's it's great, and I do love it. I mean, I certainly miss working in the ham radio industry, and that was a lot of fun. But um, being back in my community and and working in public health certainly has been really good work this past you know year plus and 
doing what I do with community prevention related to substance use um, prevention and suicide prevention. It's really, it's heartfelt work and it's, it is tiring because some of it's just, it's, you know, it drains on you emotionally. Um, but in the end of, you know, when you can see that people are starting to talk to each other about things and, you know, really losing the stigma about being able to talk about mental wellness issues and recognizing that our brain health is just as important as our body health. Um, you know, it makes you feel like, okay, every little thing we're doing here is helping. And so it feels like it feels good to be in this place um, with doing what I do. But one of these days I'll get so I'm not so tired at the end of the day. Although I think it's just because I'm getting older and I, I can't avoid that now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That's part of the part of the course, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, look, you're uh, you're you're part of the show, and uh, uh, you uh, you check in when you can. We know it's tough yeah, out absolutely. there. Absolutely. And uh, well, I'll hey, be here tonight for a while. Yeah. So we'll yeah see okay. What's going on in the world here? <laughs> very very good. All right. Well, let's skip over to uh, Alan. Hey, Alan, what do you got going tonight, man? Hey there, everybody. Good to see you all. Good to see Katie. Nice to have you back. He's got he's just got to push Tom for that corner office. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, yeah, I've got a little something we'll talk about tonight. I just mentioned Pearl Harbor Day. I, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention, I had an email conversation back and forth over the weekend uh, with a, a fellow ham radio guy who was actually going to be giving a talk tonight about Pearl Harbor and the role that uh, Radar uh, played and actually didn't play. And it actually has roots in New Jersey because, as you may know, there was a uh, an SCR-270 uh, Signal Corps uh, radar uh, on, on, in Hawaii. And it actually gave almost a 30-minute warning to, you know, for the planes that were coming in. But uh, being a new technology, it wasn't really trusted and the report wasn't really heated. Uh, it could have really changed the outcome, I think. But um but there was a lot of history, a lot of questions that I was getting uh, from my colleague because I worked at Fort Monmouth, obviously not back in the 40s when the radar was being developed there. But uh, the Signal Corps based in New Jersey was really kind of responsible for a lot of the uh, the radar development uh, that uh, really helped to win the war, ultimately. Um, and uh, a lot of the, the work on the SCR-270, which was preceded by the SCR-268, was done at, uh, at Camp Evans, where, uh, where I spent uh, a couple of summers working in between college semesters. So I uh, have a little bit of uh, vested history, if you will, uh, wait, you know, many, many years after the fact. And then the company that I work for today, uh, one of the co-founders uh, spent his, his uh, time in the Signal Corps at Fort Monmouth working on radar. So uh, Howard Vollum was one of the founders of Tektronix. So uh, so kind of have a little bit of a connection to everything that kind of happened there. So but anyway, we're not going to be talking about radar in Fort Monmouth tonight, and, but I did want to mention that because of, uh, of Pearl Harbor connection. But uh, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about um, using the FFT function, Fast Fourier Transform function, on your digital oscilloscope to kind of get almost spectrum analyzer, kind of spectrum analyzer type capability on your scope. So a little bit of a background on that. So that's what we'll be talking about. All right. So... So it's been 80 years since Pearl Harbor, but there's also another kind of anniversary for you, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, yesterday was the 15th anniversary of the first date with my wife. So, All right, man. All <laughs> so. right. Cool, man. Had to get that in there. Yes, yes. All right. Let's see. Uh, okay. 
Did we get her? Let's see. Let's go to let's let's, let's bring in our guest tonight. Uh, let's let's bring in Dwayne. Dwayne, how you doing here from LDG? Hey Tom, we're doing great. Thanks for having us on. It's, yeah, uh, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here, man. And uh, wow, uh, man, I look at your tuners every day, man. Every day. Hey, you know what? I, let me show you something. I was just looking. Let me show you something here. I was looking in uh, this past uh, uh, nuts and bolts magazine, and there you are, man. LDG right there, man. Look at there, full page. You got a lot of good stuff out there, man. That is uh, so cool, man. And you also got that super low SWR, that super low SWR in a can. I don't know if you guys sell that or not, but uh, it's expensive. Yeah, I would say it's expensive. And uh, there was one other thing. You know, I, I, I like reading the nuts and bolts. There's one other thing there. If you hey, if you look on page this this month, look on page eighty one. Look at there, page eighty one in there. Look at there, boy. This is a great magazine. If you don't subscribe to it, you need to. Well, hey, I do, but you always get you and yours before I get mine. Well, I'm closer to them than you are. You know, <laughs> I'm in Mississippi, right? Everything's right. ten years. They're behind. up north somewhere, I think. Uh, up, I don't know where they are. All right, well, let's get back to LDG there for a minute with uh, with Dwayne. Dwayne, uh, hey man, we really appreciate you being on here with us tonight. Uh, uh, how, how's business been going during the pandemic? Is everything still cooking pretty good here with you guys? Yeah, well, it's you know it's, it's the same as everyone else. You've got the shipping problems, you've got part supply problems. There's labor shortages everywhere, so you know we're just happy that uh, that we can get out the product that we can. Well, that's great. Uh, I uh, I bought a 22 kW home generator back in June, July. And I have not got it yet. We're talking what five months, man. It's yeah, just, there are a lot of delays. It's just bad out there, board. and you know, I, I I assume that you guys have trouble getting chips and parts like that. Uh, I didn't realize this, but a friend of mine told me there are thousands of brand new trucks and cars that are sitting uh, up at the manufacturer out in parking lots, and they can't get the chips to make the trucks and the cars run. And there's even an idea that they probably they may even destroy all those cars and trucks. Isn't that terrible, man? Wow. Well, so you know, I, I think tonight you guys are going to talk about some uh, L matching networks. Uh, yeah, I'll give a little history on uh, yeah. where the uh, desktop tuner came from and uh, how we got to to where we are today. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be cool. I'm really interested in that. L, the, the L match network is so simple uh the ones i i play with just a, a, a rotary coil and a you know a capacitor but uh they can you know depending on if you got high impedance or low impedance you can just reverse it and it man make it do high impedance low up it's a great uh, it's a great match here we'll talk more about it later there and let's see we've got uh we got mark out there mark uh, how you doing tonight mark all right there brother tom everything's good <laughs> well, good, good man. To see everybody. Good. Yeah. Well, so you know, we uh, we had talked about getting you guys on the show a little bit more often, maybe at least once a month here. And get your you guys to talk about tuners and antennas and stuff, man. You think right you, on, man. Anything think you like you want it? To talk about. All right. Very good. 
All right, well, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's uh, let's jump right into, did I, have I missed anybody? I think we got everybody out there. And uh, um, I know some people need to leave early. Uh, if you need to leave, just uh, go ahead and leave. Uh, jump in and say hello or goodbye if you want to. But uh, I know... Uh, I know uh, Katie probably needs to leave early tonight, and also Alan has to get up and drive somewhere tomorrow uh, a good ways for work. I feel so sorry for you guys that have to work. Oh, man. You need to retire. You really do. Let's jump right into uh, the show tonight, and let, let's get Alan in here, and let's talk about FFT. Alan, you want to pick it up? Oh, you're gonna put me on first? Okay, sure. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, I guess. Uh, well, wait, let me wait. Let, let, let me step back. Uh, Katie, did let, let, let me let me let me hook back up with Katie here. Katie, did we uh, did we discuss everything enough, uh, or did you have some more? I think we covered everything. I mean, I didn't have much to say this time around. So no, I figured. I know we got Alan's got something in the and uh, LDG. So. No, I'm just here to yeah. say hello. Well, I wanted to make sure that everybody understood, you know, your situation there, and and that you were not going to be with us every week, but uh, right. you're going to be a surprise, a surprise for us every few weeks. Like and that. uh, that's what we wanted. To, <laughs> that's what we wanted to talk about tonight. Uh, I'm not for sure. popping out of a cake, though. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, hey, that might make a good show, Katie. If <laughs> you could, if you could pop out of a cake. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good. That show. sounds like some of the old days of convention when you, ICOM used to bring in like their ICOM. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think they almost got in trouble for that. But oh, Katie, yeah, you had that tower me off over there. If you can, Katie, <laughs> Katie, just take a month off and figure out how you can get this big cake and surprise us one night, okay? All right, sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm not talking about anything. Right, just you know, I, I'm just I, I'm not. I'm you know. Don't take me wrong. Just <laughs> Katie, fun popping out of cake. That's all. Okay. All right. Very oh, good. Yeah, the big, the big said, that's like a meme and and a meme about to happen. That's an accident so. waiting to happen. You aren't kidding. <laughs> all right. I'm sure Mark and Alan right. have way some way right. more interesting things to talk about than this. Yeah. Okay. Well, Katie, thanks, Katie. All right, Alan, go ahead and pick it up. Oh, yeah, so you're gonna drop out of a big ham canned ham as we gotta jump out of so yeah <laughs> all righty so yeah so uh yeah I want, i'm interested to hear what uh, the guys from ldg say so we'll, we'll get right into it here um yeah so what i wanted to chat about a little bit because i get a lot of questions on this on my youtube channel and things like that is uh how do i use the fft function or fast fourier transfer function on my digital oscilloscope right because as you know, a digital oscilloscope can display waveforms in the time domain, but uh, there's a mathematical transform that you can apply to time domain data to give you kind of a spectrum analyzer-like display to show frequency content uh, like a spectrum analyzer would. Now, there's a lot of trade-offs. Uh, you can't do exactly everything that a spectrum analyzer can do, of course. And uh, sometimes the controls that you control in the scope to you know, will have an unexpected or you know seem like an oddball effect on the spec on the spectrum results so i want to talk a little bit about the relationships there to maybe help you get a little bit more out of using the fft and understand what it's doing so um 
I think uh, you need to give me permission to share my screen. I'll bring a couple of things up there, Tom. And uh, let's see, it looks like you did that already. So let me first pull up a little, uh, just a quick one page or document here to kind of talk about the relationship here a little bit. So, um, so a, a digital scope, uh, we look at this kind of top waveform up here, okay? Basically takes you know an analog waveform, and unlike an analog scope, which literally draws it on some glowing phosphor, a digital scope actually takes snapshots of the voltage over time. Okay, and we call them samples, and we, we take samples very very quickly, uh, and so that you can stick all those dots together and essentially view a waveform that's been sampled and stored in memory. So that's kind of how a you know at the super high level how a digital uh, oscilloscope works. Uh, the interval, the time interval between the snapshots, the voltage snapshots, uh, we call it the our sample interval, is one over the sample rate, right? If we tell it we're going to do, say, a, a million sample points a second, right, a million, a, a mega sample per second, that tells me I'm going to have one microsecond between, you know, one sample to the next. Um, obviously, uh, you've got to sample fast enough to put you know, enough points on the waveform, you know, to accurately represent that waveform. And there's this, this Nyquist rule that says you've got to be at least twice the highest frequency content of the waveform. The reality is you really need to be more than that. Um, but, um, you know, the, the very bare minimum you want, you want the sample rate to be at least two and a half times um, the highest frequency content, but you're better off being more like five or 10 times the highest frequency content. So, so you might say, I might have a 100 megahertz scope that samples at 500 megasample per second or a gigasample per second, okay? But the key there is really to understand that there's a sample rate, okay? How quickly we're taking sample points and sticking them into memory. And as you might imagine, if I want to capture a waveform of a certain duration kind of shown, you know, across this whole thing here, we'll call that the, durate, the time duration of a waveform, um, and I, I know what kind of sample rate I have, that's going to determine how much memory I need to have to store that waveform, right? So the longer the time duration and the faster I sample, the more samples I need to store in memory. Okay, there's a fundamental trade-off there that if I, I want to capture a long waveform that's high-frequency content, I'm going to need a lot of memory, okay, in order to do that. Okay, and that's just all that goes on in the time domain in the scope. And in most cases, the scope just takes care of this. You dial in the horizontal sweep speed, or we call it now horizontal scale, to set the duration that you want to capture. And then, uh, and, and you set the record length maybe or something like that. But uh, you're generally going to work out okay. The only time you typically get into trouble is if you're doing a long duration capture for a very high frequency signal. If you don't have enough memory, the sample rate may drop to the point where you create what's called aliasing. And the best way I can kind of describe what aliasing is, is if you remember watching any of the old Western movies on TV or, or in the theater, and sometimes it looks like the wagon wheels are going backwards you know, as, the, as the wagons are being pulled by the horses. And that's simply because the frame rate at which the, the, the film was captured wasn't fast enough to capture the rotation. And it happened to capture pictures when the wheels were rotated in what looks like, you know, going in the opposite direction. And it's simply because we're undersampling based on, you know, undersampling the frame rate based on what the wheel speed is. And that's basically what happens electronically if you undersample a waveform. 
let's all assume that you've got your scope set up you're not doing any aliasing you're getting a good analog rep good representation of your analog waveform so so if we've got that on our scope um, what happens when we take that time domain waveform and want to view it in the frequency domain right and what do we mean by that so you know like a time domain waveform which displays essentially voltage vertically versus time horizontally okay a frequency domain display displays essentially amplitude okay most of the time calibrated in power and oftentimes calibrated logarithmically going up versus frequency on the on the bottom axis starting from zero hertz or dc out to some frequency so that essentially any spikes or peaks in that waveform indicate i've got energy at these various frequencies and it's basically the same thing as the the waterfall plot and spectrum plot that you have on most modern you know software defined radios and a lot of the modern rigs that's kind of what the frequency domain display is so there is a way of converting from time domain to frequency domain there's a number of different transform mathematical transforms that are used they're all based on uh, the Fourier transform okay make French name for that and there's one that's typically used in an oscilloscope it's called an FFT or fast Fourier transform and the reason it's called that called that is because there's some mathematical tricks that are involved to reduce the amount of math that's involved so that we can do it pretty quickly okay so uh, but we just call it an FFT and, and basically an FFT is a way of taking that time domain waveform and creating uh, a frequency domain uh, representation of that signal but there are some relationships between what you acquire in the time domain and what that gives you ultimately in the frequency domain and the two big relationships that you've got to think about is that if we look at the frequency domain content okay the ability to resolve closely spaced signals like right down here uh, where I'm pointing the ability to resolve very closely spaced signals is something called the resolution. You know, on a spectrum analyzer, it's called the resolution bandwidth. Uh, and in this, in the FFT, is just really kind of the what's called the bin resolution. The resolution being able to resolve closely spaced frequencies is basically inversely proportional to the total record length or time duration of the record. So the longer record you capture over time, regardless of the sample rate. The longer the record length in time, okay, the, the better we can resolve closely spaced frequencies. And the way I kind of, you know, help you to remember this is that think about two closely spaced frequencies as two closely spaced speeds of vehicles in the, on, on the highway. If you're driving along on the highway and look around at all the other cars around you, if you look very quickly at them, meaning that you don't observe them for a long period of time, it may appear that you're all traveling exactly the same speed. Everybody's in the same position, basically all around me going down the highway. But if you take the time to observe a particular vehicle for a longer period of time, you can then see that, oh, he's going a little bit faster than me, or I'm going a little bit faster than him. That ability to resolve that small speed difference requires that longer observation time. The same thing holds true in an FFT. The ability to resolve two signals that are closely spaced in frequency requires a longer observation time or a longer waveform duration. Okay, so if you're trying to get better resolution on an FFT of your scope, you're going to want to make the time duration of your capture longer. Okay, 
The other thing to think about is what frequency range from DC out to what frequency range will the FFT give me a result? And that is a function of the sample rate. Okay, remember the sample rate is how quickly we're taking the samples. The FFT result is going to show you uh, co frequency content from effectively zero hertz out to the sample rate divided by two. Okay, so if I sample at 500 mega sample per second, then the FFT result will go from DC to 250 megahertz. If I sample at 10 mega samples per second, then I'm going to go from DC out to 5 megahertz. So just out to half the sample rate. So those are the two relationships. And they're in once you understand that and start to think about how they work, then it makes it easier for you to help set up the scope to make a particular measurement or to, to set up the FFT the way you want. So what I'm going to do uh, real quick here is uh, stop that share and uh, let me share a, a scope screen with y'all. Okay, so there's a, there's actually kind of a, I've got a scope running in my home office downstairs and I've just connected up through my network here so we can take a look at it. I just have a square wave uh, being shown here and indeed this is a, uh, this is a live, a live shot. So if I go and change my horizontal scale we can actually see if I you know, zoom in or zoom out I just have a square wave going into that scope okay if we go ahead here and let's go and turn let me go back to vertical and uh, we took that put a math waveform on to bring up an FFT so there's the FFT uh, of this square wave and you'll notice right here this says that I'm my sample rate of the scope right now is 10 mega samples per second okay which means that I'm the the FFT result is showing me effectively from DC out to five megahertz, and we can see here that it says 500 kilohertz. That's 500 kilohertz per division. So I've got 10 divisions. So I'm going out to five megahertz. All right. Like, let me see what what did I do here for my my waveform? I think I just did a waveform here at three kilohertz. So it's a three kilohertz square wave that I've got going on right here. Okay. But, um, but I can't really see a whole lot of resolution you know, of what's going on. As you, as you may know, the, a square wave consists of energy at the fundamental frequency, in this case, which is 3 kilohertz, and then also energy at primarily the odd harmonics. So at there'll be 3, three kilohertz, um, then not 6, but then 9 kilohertz, et cetera, the odd harmonics moving our way up. But I don't have enough resolution here to see that. It all kind of mushes together. Remember what we said about trying to get better resolution is we need a longer time record. So if I go to my horizontal scale here and I start uh, collecting more data, notice that as I do that, the sample rate's coming down. So my frequency span is getting lower, but now I'm starting to be able to resolve these other pieces in here, these other, the other spectral content. If I collect more and more data, okay, so here's the one of the fundamental problems you run into is oftentimes I can't get a good view of the frequency, the time domain of the waveform and the frequency domain of the waveform at the same time. Okay, but now I can see that uh, I'm starting to be able to resolve now. Uh, let's go one more little click here. Let's see. There we go. So um, I can see now my my spectral energy. Uh, I can now start to see the harmonic energy and things like that in there pretty easily that I really wasn't able to see before, okay? Uh, but it's at the expense of, you know, frequency uh, range or span that we're looking at. 
Now, sometimes you might have other controls in your scope to help you out with that. So, for example, let me go. Uh, so, at 500 kilosamples per second, if I wanted to make that lower to look at a lower span, I can do it by changing the horizontal scale, or I may be able to do it by changing the number of sample points. Let's see, right now, this is using 10,000 sample points. If I change the number of sample points across here, that's going to change the sample rate, right? So, if I go into my acquisition menu, I can go into, uh, let's see, where do they hide it here? Uh, okay, under acquire. And let's bring this, bring up this record length here. And then we'll scoot down. Let's just scoot up here. So if I just went to a thousand points, a thousand points now, 10 times lower, my sample rate is 10 times lower. So I'm getting 10 times less frequency range in the FFT, but now I've got also 10 times better resolution between my content. Okay. So you do have a lot of this, you know, these trade-offs that you've got to think about to kind of get what you want. And it, this all kind of leads into why sometimes you have trouble uh, getting what you might want with an FFT when it comes to looking at things like, uh, you know, that you might be using, you know, with amateur radio. Because with amateur radio, you might say, well, I've got a signal at, you know, say at 20 megahertz that I'm modulating and I want to look at the modulated content. The problem is that if, let's say I'm, I'm at 20 meters, right? That's, four, you know, 14 megahertz. I'm going to have to set up the scope to be have a sample rate that is two or three or four or five times greater than 14 megahertz. So I might want to be at, you know, 50 or 100 mega samples per second in order to get the frequency range that I want to have. But then by doing that, I would need a lot of memory to capture enough time duration to get the resolution to be able to see my modulation sidebands on that signal. So, uh, so that's what that's one of the reasons why an FFT isn't a real good substitute for a, a true spectrum analyzer. Uh, but it, it 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 does present why there is an issue and why a lot of people have questions like, "Hey, I've got this fancy scope, but I don't need a spectrum analyzer. I have an FFT." And the re reality is, sometimes it gets pretty tough to do, to to do that. Um, so if I turn on, let's turn off channel one here and turn on, uh, let's turn on channel two. Let me turn off channel one here. And uh, let's change the math to show me, uh, let's do the math on channel two instead. So uh, the waveform that I've got here is a, I'm using that same square wave now to modulate a 14.2 megahertz RF signal. So let's go and change my horizontal scale, and let's go collect a lot more data here. So let's uh, let's go let's go speed this up here a little bit. Uh, let's see. Uh, Got to grab the right right arrow here. I'm used to driving the scope with the front panel and not uh, not here. So let's let's scoot up here to. So here um, now I'm running a 25 mega sample per second which is just barely enough actually not even quite enough to give me a good representation of my uh my 20 meter signals so now i've actually at 50 mega sample per second there's my 20 meter the spectrum of my 20 meter signal okay but you notice that it just has a little bit of spectral spreading on either side here i really can't see the modulation sidebands right so I need to collect more data over time. In fact, you can even see the envelope. I've got, I'm just doing that square wave modulation. I can just see, you know, I'm low and then I'm high. 
I'd have to collect some more data over time in order to get that, right? So if I collect more data over time, okay, like this to start to see that modulation, now my sample rate is dropping, okay? With my sample rate dropping, then I'm gonna kind of get a good frequency domain representation. So you can see it can re be really tricky to kind of get what you want out of this. And you can fiddle with it and you can kind of get it to work and then you can zoom in on your waveform, but it does take a little bit of work. So that's I understand why people get frustrated with it. And the purpose of this was just to kind of give you a flavor of what is causing that and why when you start changing things like horizontal scale, it changes what the frequency domain looks like and vice versa. So um, uh, I just want to at least give you an, an idea what those relationships are. Certainly, there's a topic that we could talk about for an hour, and but I don't want to take all the time here tonight. Just want to give you a little bit of flavor for it. So doing an FFT on low-frequency signals, audio signals, works really pretty well generally on the scope. When you want to try to look at narrowband content on RF signals, that's where an FFT generally will kind of fall apart a little bit. Um, but if you want to look at, if you're building, say, you know, uh, a, tr a QRP transmitter or a homebrew transmitter, and you want to look at the harmonic content of that signal, let's say I'm, I'm building a 40-meter CW transmitter, I want to make sure that my harmonics are knocked down far enough. That's looking at a really, relatively wide span. That's what the, the FFT will do really good with. The FFT just won't do well looking at narrowband content around a high-frequency carrier. So... Anyway, that was just what I wanted to talk, chat about here. I'll take a look to see if there was any questions in the chat, but uh, I just thought that uh, if we haven't put everybody to sleep, it was a pretty good topic. Well, that was uh, interesting. I don't know if I could do that or not. Uh, you make it look easy. Yeah, Alan. he makes it look way too easy. He makes it look way too easy, man. He just clicks these buttons and explains every little detail there. I love the way his little pointer yeah that's just that's just a windows trick so so i you know hey i don't think i'd ever be able to it you can't you know you can't teach an old dog new tricks right i don't know if i'd ever be able to learn that so my best bet is to just keep my spectrum analyzer right i mean yeah yeah if you, i would say for if you have a spectrum analyzer then yeah. the fft is not going to be any substitute for that uh, it's just convenient if you happen to be probing something with your scope and you want to look at the spectral content. It's not easy to use probes with a spectrum analyzer because of the impedance differences. Um, but otherwise, you know, in 99% of the cases, a spectrum analyzer is going to be more effective. Except most spectrum analyzers, as you know, though, start at 9 kilohertz. So they go from 9 kilohertz up to some frequency. So if you want to look at audio, you're probably better off using an FFT on a scope. Yeah, I can see how that might give you a better picture than at yeah. that low lows low frequencies yeah all right well very good um i've been looking at the chat room um and um i saw one guy said he's got to apologize to his math teacher uh because uh, you know i guess if he'd paid more attention this would have helped him a whole lot more <laughs> you know so oh boy okay well look uh hey uh alan is that out on your youtube channel uh if people want to uh, see i it? do have i do have uh if you do a search on my youtube channel um just for fft there are probably at least two or three videos that i have on on using an fft within the oscilloscope so yeah okay well very good if there's anybody uh with questions uh please put them in the chat room uh i know alan has to cut out in just a few minutes. Uh, well, after, but, uh, after LDG, I want to hear this. 
Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we're gonna. Hey, we're gonna, in just a moment. We're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, L L uh, matching or L networks, I guess, and maybe some history behind them. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute, everybody. Just stay with us here. Spice up your. This portable radio is perfect for staying in or venturing out and working your favorite bands this winter. Happy holidays from Icon. The IC705 is a perfect sidekick in QRP Companion base station features and functionality at the tip of your fingers in a portable package covering HF 6 meters, 2 meters, 70 centimeters. This compact rig weighs in at just over 2 pounds with RF direct sampling for most of the HF bands and IF sampling for frequencies above 25 megahertz. Some of the features include 4.3 inch touchscreen with live band scope and waterfall, sideband CW, AM, FM, as well as full D-Star functions, has a micro USB connector, Bluetooth, and WLAN, integrated GPS with antenna and GPS logger. The HM243 speaker microphone comes standard. The perfect accessory for the IC705 is the optional LC192 backpack. It has a special compartment for your IC705 and room for all your accessories. Our family of favorite ICOM amateur radios are also available this holiday season and they make the perfect gift. Don't forget the 9700, the 9300, and the 7610 base stations. And the ID52A handheld coming soon. Visit www.icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM radios. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. All right, and we are back. But that's not me you're looking at. That's Glenn you're looking at. i got to fix that. How'd that happen? There we go. All right. Hey, I'm excited about this next part that we're going to talk about here, this next segment. Uh, We've got uh, Dwayne with us, WD8OYG, and Mark with us, KB3VWM, uh, from uh, LDG, LDG Electronics. And uh, we want to uh, hear from them, and I think uh, we're going to be seeing a presentation on LMATCH, L Networks. What do you got, what do you got there, Dwayne? Come on in here and say hi. Yeah, well, we're going to take a look at uh, at where uh, automatic antenna tuners came from and uh, how we ended up with them on the desktop. So it's a uh, it's a little bit of a uh, little bit of a history lesson and a little bit of technical at the same time. Okay. All right, so let me go ahead and share this, and we'll get started. Very good. Did it work? There it is. All right. Okay, so we're just going to talk about automatic antenna tuners and and specifically the switched L network. And uh, just like Tom was talking about, the uh, the switched L network has a a it's a very simple device. It's got the the least number of parts of of uh, 
of an antenna tuner that you can have, just one capacitor and one inductor. So it's it's uh, it's very simple, very easy to do. So let's take a look at. Uh, uh oh, let's see where I'm at here. Yeah, there we go. Let's take a look at uh, what we call an antenna tuner. And this is a uh, this gets a lot of questions right here. Is you know what do we call it? We see over in Europe they call it something different, and uh, and and Australia they call it something different. In the United States we call it all kinds of different things, but. Uh, but basically, it's anything. It's a tuner, a coupler, a matchbox, a transmatch, uh, an automatic tuning unit. That's the that's the British version. But it's anything that matches a uh, one impedance to another, and it's basically variable. So we have a uh, we have an an, an an adjustable impedance transformer, and and Mark had come up with this. Mark coined the term a variable unun. So it's an unbalanced input and an unbalanced output, and it's an variable transform in the middle. So if you think of it like a uh, an unun, or balun or an unun, then uh, it's basically a variable unun. And one of the cool things that it does is it helps provide the uh, the maximum power transfer you can see there to the radio, makes the radio happy, and uh, and sometimes that's all we want. So why do we need one? You know, we've we've uh, we've just come out with these in the past uh, I don't know, maybe 30 years or so, 30 or 40 years. And basically, it's so you can get more bands on one antenna or one antenna to cover more frequency than, than it's just designed for. So here we end up with, uh, and then it makes the radio happy. So here we end up with a picture from the AWRL that says, um, basically, it's just a box that goes between the radio and the antenna to make the radio happy. So you get your full power out of, out of your radio, you get 100 watts out, and you get that uh, moved uh, toward the antenna, and it, most of it gets radiated. All right, let's back up here a little bit on the history of tuners. And this is not auto tuners, so this is just tuners in general. And uh, Tom can attest to this. Back in the day, we used to just go and uh, get a light bulb, and we would put a light bulb right on our feed line, and then we would adjust a uh, maybe a capacitor or an inductor someplace, and it could be in the shack or outside or at the base of the antenna or at the feed point. And... Uh, and if we got the light bulb to glow brighter, that means we had a bigger signal getting out. And that, that was almost true all the time. And, uh, and that's how we did it. We just, uh, we just made stuff and uh, got the light bulb to glow. And then in the 50s, uh, Johnson came out with a uh, with the Johnson Kilowatt Matchbox, which was uh, a major, major, major improvement in, uh, in how hams work and with antennas. Because now... You could have uh, one antenna, and I think this one was speed with ladder line, but you could have one antenna and work many, many bands. You could work five or six different bands with one uh, antenna and one uh, matchbox. And, and that was really great. And then we had uh, all kinds of uh, different desktop tuners from the 60s and 70s and 80s. And then in the 90s, we found out uh, uh, there was a couple of companies uh, uh, started with um, automatic antenna tuners. Uh, SGC was one of the first ones, and Kenwood was one of the first ones in the ham radio uh, department. And uh, they had, uh, in the very early 90s, and they had made automatic antenna tuners, which basically took the, John the Johnson Matchbox and, and automated it with uh, switching relays. And sometimes they used motors to turn the knobs, and sometimes relays for coil taps and things like that. But, uh, but it was uh, in the early 90s, and then... And then I came along in the uh, in the mid '90s, and I and I developed this uh, AT11 uh, desktop auto tuner, 
And that sort of changed things again. So we had a change in the 50s and we had a change in the mid 90s that, uh, that it, the, the market switched over to a uh, desktop auto tuner system. So most people just wanted to push a button, let the tuner figure it out for them, and then they could work multiple bands uh, with one or just two radios, uh, antennas, and, uh, and cover everything. Okay, we got three types of auto tuners today. Now we're, we're back in today's time frame. And, uh, and there's basically three kinds. There's one that's inside the radio. And these use uh, little motors or relays, little tiny things. That's real sub-miniature stuff. Very cool. Uh, the problem is they're tiny, so you end up with, because uh, it's inside the radio, so you end up with a limiting tuning range. And then one of the biggest things that we see from, our, from, from customers that talk to us, that if you use your internal tuner, you cannot use an external watt meter or an SWR meter because it's on the wrong side of the antenna, radio, and uh, tuner. Uh, an SWR meter has to go between the radio and the tuner. It, can't, it cannot go between the tuner and the antenna. So if your SWR meter goes between the radio and the tuner, and the tuner's inside the radio, you can't get to that. So you can't measure the SWR externally. So that's a, that's a little bit of a, uh, of a limitation that you have there. And then the other thing, the other one is the long wire tuners. And this is in the picture down here at the bottom. You can see that's the AH, the ICOM AH4. It's a very good tuner. Has very wide range tuning at the 50 to 1 SWR. It can tune almost anything. And it's in a weatherproof enclosure. It mounts outside. But the problem is, you know, it's, it gets big, big and heavy. It's expensive because uh, you're, you're copying that, uh, that Johnson matchbox. And, uh, you know, it's almost as big. It's really a big box. And, and you also have control cables to go with that. So it ends up being a little bit more expensive to do it that way. You do get a little bit more um, signal to the antenna in, under certain circumstances. So sometimes a long wire antenna tuner is better than a desktop, but also sometimes it's better to have a desktop tuner. And then in the 90s here, we see the, uh, the desktop auto tuner is by far the most popular since the, since the 90s. We've got a, a 10 to one tuning range and it's uh, perfectly scalable from 5 to 1,000 watts. You can make a 5-watt version of it, a 1,000-watt version. It just scales uh, very, very nicely. Okay, the next question we get, and I think we, uh, we may have talked about that just a second ago, is uh, the tuner location. Where do you, where do you want to put the tuner? And of course, you want to put it on the desktop because it's the most convenient. But if you want to put it on the, out of the antenna because it has the most uh, efficiency, then, then that's a good answer, too. There's three things you want to look at when you're remoting the tuner. Is this your signal going to be below or above 30 megahertz? If you're working uh, 80 meters and 40 meters, the, the, the line loss is much less than if you're working 10 meters and, and 15 meters. Is your antenna above uh, the SWR of your antenna with no tuner on it? If it's just sitting there, if the SWR is be below 10 to 1, then it doesn't really matter if you have the tuner in the, in the shack or out at the feed point because the losses are just, you know, it's in the, in the very small, under a dB of loss. So it's um, barely negligible. And then uh, if your lengths are uh, below 150 feet or above, if it's above, you want to have a remote. If it's below, then again, there's just no, you're not going to have enough coax loss to justify the return on getting more power out to your antenna because it's only going to be just a couple of watts and then the basic bottom line is it's more convenience to have it on the desktop. I'm very lazy. 
that's why I built this thing in the first time. First place was because it was um, my uh, the one in my 440, my Kenwood TS 440 had uh, had broken, and uh, and I was lazy and designed an automatic one to replace it because I didn't want to use a manual. Okay, so we get to the uh, to the actual Switchdale network, and this is uh, very close to that picture that Tom had there on the uh, on the thumbnail tonight. So that looks really good, and and basically uh, we're going to start off with some two dimensional math. This is the only place I'm going to touch it, uh, and then uh, and then just get right away from that and just keep it with uh, with that. Uh, basically, what we want to do is we want to transform uh, to 50 ohms uh, that the radio likes with no uh, with no um, reactants in the system and so we have the schematic there on the bottom that shows a uh, the inductor there's only one variable inductor and one variable capacitor and then in the middle we have a uh, just a switch just it's a relay or a switch just could be a toggle switch to move the capacitor to the input or to the output and that's basically the operation of it it's very good for tuning uh, 10 to 1 up to a 10 to 1 tuning range and the beauty of this is when you go to automate it, you only need SWR uh, to find the answer uh, because a, a switched out network only has a single solution. Um, if you have a Pi or a, uh, a T network, a T tuner or a Pi tuner, those have multiple answers. So you can, you can have uh, multiple solutions and some of them can be false. You can think that you have a good match, but it's all lost in the tuner. But in the switched out network, you're guaranteed there's only one solution ever, every single time. So if you find the spot where you have the lowest SWR, you're guaranteed to have the best match, which in this case we call a conjugate match because it takes the, uh, the 50 ohms and uh, the, the, load, the load and matches it to 50 ohms. So whatever the load is, this creates a conjugate match to give you 50 ohms on the input here. And then, of course, the last thing, there's 30% last parts. Uh, in the L network, we only have two parts, one inductor and one capacitor. But in the Pi, you'll have two capacitors and one inductor, or maybe two inductors and one capacitor. So it's, it's cheaper. It uh, finds uh, better matches, um, and it needs less parts. And I guess the, the limiting thing there is here is, is it only about 10 to 1 tuning range. And if you need 50 to 1, then you have to go to something else. But if you have a dipole or a vertical or something, most of the SWR is going to be, you know, across many of the bands, around 10 to 1 or so. And that gives you multiple antennas. All right, well, let's look at a tuner here and see how we do this. So here on the top, we can see here's our inductors. And then here on the bottom is our variable capacitors. And then here in the middle is our uh, switch, the switch, the bank of capacitors to the input side or the bank of capacitors to the output side. So, and then down here you have all these electronics that, uh, that manages all that, that we have frequency counters and SWR sensors and power supply circuits and relay drivers. I have all this thing, all these things on a board here. And uh, we use software uh, to detect the, uh, the high and low Z. We can, we can do a, a, a measure the SWR, we can make a couple of changes, measure the SWR again, and then we can tell if the signal is uh, high Z or low Z. And then we adjust the, the capacity here accordingly. And then we go and find a match with the inductors and the capacitors. And then how do we me me measure SWR here? With the Bruin circuit, that's a circuit 
from um, Collins back in the 50s, 60s, 50s, I think. A guy named uh, Brune, Brune uh, made up this SWR circuit, and a very simple circuit only has about five or six parts, and it gives you the forward power and the reverse power. And then you can take that and put that into this formula, and then that will give you SWR. And then um, that's our math part. And again, of course, don't forget, you have the minimum SWR, you have your maximum power transfer, and uh, for the switch tail network, because you're guaranteed it's the only solution. All right, scaling the power up here. Oh, man, we can go up to 1,000 watts. Just big, get some big inductors here. Those are two-inch inductors. You get those ferrite cores, and, uh, and then you have the relays. Upper limit's about 16, sometimes 20 amps. And, uh, and you get some big capacitors with some uh, with big, uh, you know, 2,500 volts, maybe 3,000 volt limits. And, uh, and you can make a big tuner out of it. So you can scale it up to 1,000 watts. You could scale it down to 5 watts if you wanted to uh, just by making the inductors and the capacitors and the relays uh, different sizes. All right, looking here at the speed of things, here's uh, how fast can this thing go. The problem is we're limited by the debounce of the relay. So each relay has a, a, uh, a little lever in there that uh, when it energizes, it moves from one contact to the other, moves back and forth from one contact to another contact. And since that's physical, it has to move a distance, then it takes time. And, and then it also has to uh, settle because it moves and then it bounces up against this contact. And then, um, and then it bounces a little bit. So we have to wait about 10 milliseconds uh, each time we change a relay for it to settle. And then, uh, and then it's settled and we have algorithms to take a look at that to make sure that the that the RF is stable before we take a measurement. And then we go through and we run through a, a sorting system through the, uh, with, with all the inductors and capacitors. And it's a, uh, we use a, uh, it's a modified, well, we use a bubble sort to start with and then they have a, a radix sort after that. There's 127,000 uh, bins, I think. So the radix sort is very fast for that, very fast. And then when we do uh, have to do a tune, we used to get it oops, in about three, four, five seconds at the very worst. If you got uh, you got a few settings here for finding your high-low, a few settings for high, finding your inductors and capacitors, and then fine-tuning. And then we stick that in memory. So uh, in that processor, well, we have memory on that board. And then once we find that match for that particular frequency, we can put that into a memory. So when we come back the next time, it doesn't take the three seconds. It'll just take about 100 milliseconds to go click, click, and it's, uh, and it's all matched because it remembers what you got last time. All right, coming down to the end here, we're automating the whole thing. And uh, here we have this tuner section, which uh, corresponds to that, uh, that PC board that we showed a while ago. You have the radio side here. We have a frequency sensor and our SWR sensor, again, on the radio side. That's where it has to go. And then we have our tuner, and then we have our antenna on the output. The microprocessor controls it all. We use, uh, we've used 60 HC11 processors back in the 90s from Motorola. And uh, now we use PIC chips for the most part from, uh, from microchip. And then, uh, and then here's your memory that, uh, that stores this for all the different frequencies and the hand bands. So then when you go to a new frequency, your radio transmits, the frequency sensor picks it up, the microprocessor says, ah, we've been here before and this memory, and we use this setting, and then this sets it in, and, and then you're all set to go. If it doesn't set it in, if, it's, if you change the antenna or your antenna fell down or something, 
it'll put that memory in. And then if that's not a match, it'll go ahead and tune for you. And then find the new match and then put that in memory. All right. So that's really how they work. It's uh, There's not too much to it. Low number of parts. Uh, very simple operation. Low number of uh, code lines. The very first tuner that, uh, that we did in 1995 only had 500 bytes of code. It was, uh, it was very, very tight for getting the, uh, the code in it. So future tuners are going to have like 15 to 1 tuning range, maybe to 20. We can make them a little bit better. We can make the sensors a little bit better. And we can add in a, you know, an analog meter for RF and SWR, give it some, uh, give it some retro look. And we've got a lot of uh, interest here in USB interfaces for remote operating. Um, from remote stations over the internet. And of course, we want simpler operation, even simpler than putting it into memory. We want, we want the mind reading option. And we get that all the time. People want to know this thing. So I wanted to do this, but it did that. We don't have that mind reading version. And then here's our sources for this. And look there, Alan, man, you got, you got a source on here because we watch your videos all the time. And we use those for figuring out how to test things. And, and Tom, we do put you, uh, you got the uh, cubby show in the bottom there, the W5KUB.com. Uh, uh, that's in there. Um, let's see, we use the antenna book a lot. And, uh, and then Wikipedia. If you go under Wikipedia and look in the, under antenna tuner, there is a picture of an LDG tuner there. So, uh, and several other ones, but there's an LDG tuner there. So it's kind of the definition, sort of, kind of, in a way. So, all right, that's it, Tom. Let me, uh, let me close this out. Hey, Dwayne, I got a question for you. Uh, yes. In the development of these things, you know, figuring you got a lot of RF flying around at potentially some pretty high voltages inside the box. Have you ever had issues you've had to deal with with, you know, RF getting into the microprocessor and kind of hanging it up or doing some strange things there? And do you have to do any kind of special shielding inside the tuners to prevent that from happening? Oh, absolutely. Yes. So all the, all the power lines have to have uh, special impedance calculations done to them to make sure that that they have uh, the proper power signals to all the chips and signals, uh, uh, chips and, and relays. And then uh, everything has to be decoupled. Um, so the design is, is really robust. There's a lot of things in there. Processors move far away from the, from the inductor and capacitors to help yeah. with RF. Cool. So, yeah, that's, that, that's a, it's a, the layout uh, takes a, uh, probably the first thing we look at, make sure that we have that taken care of to keep it from having RF problems. Sure. All right. Hey, hey, uh, Dwayne, go ahead and bring your, you're through with the presentation here. Go ahead and bring your camera yeah. back in. All right. Hey, hey there was a question uh, from Tim Toast. Is, is there some improvement to having an antenna tuner in a purely receiving setup? Well, I'll say the answer is yes. You want to talk about that? Um, it's yes and no. Yeah. Um, uh, L switching, switching tuner. When it's in the low uh, Z position as a high pass, uh, high pass filter, just how so happens to be. And the other one's in a low pass filter situation. So if on receive, it may help if you have adjacent signals that are either high, uh, higher in frequency or lower in frequency, but it depends on you know, the impedance of the antenna. So that, that's kind of a random answer to, to the well, question. You know, it may help, but, but you can't really, you can't purpose, purpose, purposefully do that. Well, you know, I've uh, uh, seen and played with, you know, just a, a manual tuner uh, on, a, on an antenna. And um, a, a lot of times, uh, 
especially even to get get the tuner in the, in the right place or get it close, people will tune that tuner to listen on receive to peak the receive signal, uh, you know, to get it close. So uh, yeah, it's all it about, seems that it's it all does about power transfer and impedance yeah. matching and power transfer. So if the radio itself, the receiver's got a 50 ohm input impedance. If yeah. you can match that 50 ohm input impedance, you're going to get maximum power transfer from the antenna into the receiver. So it works. It works. It works both ways. Yeah, I think it. I think it uh, probably would uh, help. So uh, you know, for I think Tim Toaster. Uh, I'm not sure Tim's a ham. I think he's a shortwave listener. Uh, but you know, hey, um, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of shortwave listeners, and I've had equipment before where I just kind of peek the antenna, you know, and then basically that's a little simple tuner circuit, uh, I guess. Like Alan says, it helps to uh, set that impedance match a little bit better. Uh, let's see uh, another question. Uh, I had a question. I'm, I'm I'm looking at some old stuff. Um, I'm always looking for something to do here different to Shack. And uh, I'm thinking about an RF amp meter. Now, I don't know if an RF amp meter is would help you much more than just a, a watt meter. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Uh, first, Dwayne, do you, do you have any idea whether an RF amp meter would help a person? Uh, you know, get well, sure, maximum Sure, because sure, it doesn't... Uh, yeah, because it doesn't... Uh, it's not... Uh, tied to the impedance you can measure the amount of power going through regardless of what the impedance is so yes it's very helpful okay so if i put an rf uh, amp meter in my circuit and still i have my 1500 watt watt meter up there i i don't know if i'm necessarily going to get both of them to peak the same place or not i guess i probably should what do you think sure yeah it's a maximum power you should yeah yeah so I guess my my question is, the 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 RF amp meter probably doesn't buy me anything. I mean, yeah, the RF amp meter doesn't really buy me anything if I've got a watt meter on on the uh, antenna. Well, it buys you something if the impedance is not fifty ohms. Mm. Yeah, and and also if if your amp meter is directional, your watt meter often your your simple watt meters are not directional. So you're going to see kind of the sum of the forward and reflected power. So you might say, okay. hey, I've got a 100-watt transmitter. Why am I seeing 125 watts, right? It's because yeah. the reflected you're actually at a at one of the anti-node points, if you will, of the of the standing wave. So uh, an ammeter, an RF, a true RF ammeter might help you avoid that. Yeah, I, I may add that on just to play with, just to have another meter, you know, here on the uh, operating position. It kind of moves a little bit, you know. So when I have guests over, they can say, look at all those meters moving. <laughs> well, yeah, I like buttons and knobs. I got a lot yeah, of buttons yeah. and knobs in my chair. Uh, oh. There's a question that came up here, Dwayne, in the in the chat room. Um, that if you match a particular frequency, um, the question is how far can you stray from that frequency before uh, it has to re- retune? And uh, do you have an algorithm for it, or are you just always measuring you know, SWR to decide when to retune? And what's the typical cue, if you will, or how far can you stray you know, on one band versus another? Yep, those are all good questions. Uh, we do not measure the Q, um, but we do know that on the lower frequencies, say like 80 meters, you can uh, have a wider bandwidth, than, I'm sorry, a narrower bandwidth than if you were on 10 meters. So if you had 10 meters and you tune, you probably get 500 kilohertz. Yeah. But if you were on uh, uh, 80 meters and tuned, you may only get 25 or 30 kilohertz on either side of the, before you'd have to tune. 
Yeah. Uh, you, have, you have memories. I mean, I guess how many memories do you have in terms of you know wh where would you delineate you know, a memory slot that uh, lay on eighty meters? Do you put a memory slot every fifty kilohertz, or or is it any time you retune, you just create another memory for that? Well, we use uh, we use more slots on eighty meters than we use on ten meters, and I think we use uh, twice the number of. It's almost Nyquist, but it's not quite. We use twice the number of slots than about what the tuner's key would be even though we don't measure it we don't know that right but right. we've we've done experiments and then put it into the algorithm it's hard code oh thank you so there was a question uh for you in the chat room uh asking about do you guys have 1500 watt tuners no no we don't not yet um like i was saying in the presentation there we just found some new relays just maybe a week or two ago that can handle more power and we may look at that some sometime in you know next year or so yeah you know i've got uh, uh i've got an mfj 1500 watt auto tuner out at the antenna and uh you know the, the thing that surprises me back being a home brewer from many many decades ago uh the typical uh relays were fairly good sized relays they had pretty good contacts on them you know the old 12 volt and relays and so forth had big contacts they're probably 30 40 amp contacts who knows but today, in these tuners, you got the smallest little relays in there, and I'm just I'm just amazed how I can run 1500 watts, and the 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 relay in here is half you know it's about like a postage stamp. Yeah, it's all exotic materials. There's yeah, things like be. beryllium on the contacts now, so we can make the contacts smaller. We can make the springs not be as stiff and still handle the same number of amps yeah um so that's that's the uh i guess that's the key there is uh, technology is changing and maybe new products are coming out where maybe things are a little better now that we didn't have 20 years ago you know when you started building these tuners yeah just a little bit uh we've had yeah. 16 amp relays to do the 1000 watt uh tuner for probably 15 20 years but we're just now starting to see some new relays come out. So we'll see what happens in the next year or so. Okay. So Steve's asking, what is your highest power model available that you guys have right now? It's 1,000 watts. Okay. And it's, uh, we derate these things. You know, it's a, yeah. it'll go to 1,200 on sideband. But we, you know, we try to say, keep, the, keep it at 1,000 watts. Yeah. Uh, and... I, I, I guess uh, it holds true for everybody. You don't just tune that with a thousand watt carrier, right? Do you, do you have to reduce power down to a, a, a low power to tune? Oh, that's a procedure thing. Mark, you want to do that one? Sure, sure. It's actually it's going to do a dance with the transceiver anyway. It'll roll it back. So you don't want to you want to tune with your amp and bypass if you're working with an amplifier. So just Put your amp in standby, right. feed a carrier in, she'll do the rest. Okay, so, in other words, you're saying just tune with, well, even even your normal transceiver is going to be 100 watts. Right, much. right. So, so is that pretty safe to just use 100 watts to tune this? I mean, I, I see some specs that say, you know, 10 to 20 watts for tuning. I, you know, it's, it's just a matter of preference, man. Uh, I usually say 20 watts is a sweet spot, but... Uh, 
Yeah. But uh, it will do the dance. You know, your, your transceiver is going to roll back the power, you know, as it's, uh, as it encounters uh, the impedance there, the SWR. So, uh, and it's going to quickly find that, uh, find that match. So she'll, uh, yeah, I think you can pretty much safely beat her a carrier and you'll be good to go. Okay. So, uh, uh, your uh, your your tuners. I'll say they're they all tune a ten to one ratio. Uh, can you extend that ratio out there by say putting a two to one or a four to one balun out there past the tuner? Will that will that uh, widen your tuning range from ten to one to maybe twenty to one, thirty to one? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, balance are pretty cool. I mean, it's just yeah. So I guess the answer would be correct. That's right. <laughs> I'm you got me. Uh, you got me kind of shy here, man. I'm with uh, some really smart folks, and I, <laughs> I basically push the buttons on these tuners, and I can walk people through and kind of help them uh, make it work. But uh, but I, and I'm still completely in shock that the uh, the boss man uh, not only uh, sanctions laziness, but has mathematically proven its worth. Yeah. Well, look, man, hey, hey, feel comfortable here. Let me give you a little secret. We make stuff up on this show, okay? Okay, cool. We, we, Wait a minute. I was just going to ask if they had job openings for laziness. Yeah. Yeah, you can come work with me. I like the, uh, that is the perfect ham t-shirt you've got there, my brother. <laughs> we do not read or follow instructions well. <laughs> one of the things that I, I remember I've, I've spoken about in some of my videos is the fact you know, if, you, if you think about complex impedance on a Smith, uh, Smith chart, right? Any any circle drawn or, or concentric around the center is kind of a constant SWR. So there's an infinite combination of complex impedance that can result in the same SWR. So I would imagine that the, the L network probably may have a better job at some combinations of of inductance and, 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 impede, and reactance than others. So have you found that if you've got a, a difficult antenna situation that just won't match right, even though it's, you know, it's not terrible in terms of being out of match, if you add or subtract a little bit of length to rotate yourself to a different spot on the Smith chart, will it tune better? Oh, absolutely. Yes. We see that a lot, especially on 80 meters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you have that that kind of classic yin yin yang diagram of, of which which style network would would work best for a given combination of impedances and and I wonder if you thought about potentially putting a little extra like one of the relays to switch in a little bit extra line length for those difficult situations to kind of rotate yourself around to help tune those more complex situations. Yeah, we could we could uh, a lot of times it's just adding another uh, like a five foot piece of coax cable. Right, that's just what I'm adding- saying. Adding another like, like thirty five picofarads of coax and and that fixes it. So we don't uh, we don't look at putting that into the hardware because it, then everyone who purchased a tuner would have to purchase that capability. So yeah, yeah, right. So so we do the minimum uh, for what we think everyone's going to use, and then if you have it run into problems with with uh, being in that part of the Smith chart, then we'll have uh, you know a a individual because every installation. Yeah. Every home is different, of course, and, and then we'll we'll work with them to find out what works best. And sometimes it's a balance, and sometimes it's a you know feed line, or you know we hate changing antennas, but occasionally we have to say you know that might not work. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've tried to load up things that I should have no business trying to load up. <laughs> yeah, 
you know a lot of times it's just the cheapest way to fix the problem is just you know wires a little cheaper than everything else so yeah go ahead i i probably loaded up some things that alan had never thought about uh you know and, and hey you, you mentioned the scg tuner I've, I've got one of those i had i've had it for many years i love that little tuner it's only you know it's a hundred watt tuner only but uh when I go off to our home in North Carolina or somewhere, I'll take it, throw a wire over a limb, and uh, you know, a couple radios out, and I can just about work any band, and it works just really great. Um, Alan, you're talking about loading up just about anything. Uh, I've told this story before, so if I bore anybody on the chat room, go get a cup of coffee right now. Uh, I tried my auto tuner out uh, on. I had a ADL Camino parked in my backyard, and. So I, I, I ran the uh, uh, auto tuner out to the uh, truck out there, and I clipped it to the bumper. So I was going to use the I was going to use the El Camino for the antenna. You know, after all, it is on four insulators, right? You know, it's got four insulators, uh, can handle a lot of power. Anyway, I saw I, I connected my uh, SGC tuner to to the bumper of my El Camino out there, and. Here I am in Memphis, and I talked to a guy up in Washington State, and he said, man, your mobile's doing great. And I said, man, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm not running mobile. I'm running a, I'm running a mobile for the antenna. But, uh, man, with these auto tuners, you can, I, I, I believe in them. Uh, you know, people argue all the time. You get into these, these groups, and people argue a tuner doesn't do anything. It fools the transmitter and all that stuff. But let me tell you. I think it does more than just fools the transmitter. It makes it work. And it, it, we've talked about how it matches impedance and it, it transfers that power. When you match impedance, the power is going to transfer. So, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. And I, I really believe in them. Um, and, and I tell people, if you want something simple, you know, new hams come along. What antenna should I buy? And they'll put three or 400 bucks in this antenna or that antenna. And it only worked these couple bands, and then, like you mentioned, maybe on 80 meters, hey, you know, it might only be 25 cases wide there. And uh, you know, I say, man, go out and buy you an auto tuner, get you an auto tuner, put it out at the antenna, run you a random wire out there, you know, run it around your fence or out to a tree or somewhere, nobody will even see it, and you can work all bands. And then, if you do go from one end of the band to the other, your SWR is just great, man. And uh, I believe in them. Hey, Tom. Yeah. Did you have radials on that El Camino? You know, I did not. I did not have radials uh, on oh, the El man. Camino. I'm sure I had some radials there on the ground side of that tuner. Probably, <laughs> and, and, and probably probably even just the, the, the coax itself to ask, uh, act somewhat as a, a counterpoise. I, I don't think Tom got the joke. No, he didn't, but that's well, okay. Radios on the I, I didn't get it. You're a joke. I, I still don't get it. Uh, radio radios tires. as opposed to oh, bias radios, radios, radio tires. Right? Uh, yes. You know, I think they, they, yeah, I think I did have radios on the El Camino. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I'll have to remember that. That was just too good to leave hanging, man. I'll have uh, to remember that. We next, explain next with time, the dad jokes. Next time uh, I tell it the story. It was just low-hanging fruit. <laughs> Next time I tell a story, I'll have to mention that I did have four radials on the truck. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. P two thirty five fifteen. That's right. <laughs> yeah, how long were the radio? Well, we don't measure them in length. We measure them in like 
P235 or whatever that is, you know. Oh, man, that's cool. All right. Well, hey, you know, uh, hey, Dwayne, uh, are you guys working on anything else? I know we've been in some emails and you've talked about things, and I wouldn't even bring it up because it may be confidential. Is there anything else you guys are working on that you want to mention tonight? Mark's got the 49 to 1 bow in there. That, uh, yes, I, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. It's a brand new one. 49 there she to is. 1. Okay. Right there. Absolutely beautiful. It is. It <laughs> is. The infed half weaves. Yeah. Yeah. And if we come back on next month, maybe we can talk about repeaters or something. We got a couple of repeater projects going on. Yeah. That's yeah. What There's I was, a couple that's questions what I was in the chat room. That was what I was referring to uh, uh, the repeater subject. I didn't know. Uh, how much you wanted to talk about that? <clears throat> yeah, we can come back and do that another next month. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, on this uh, August AWRL calendar, Kitty. <laughs> oh, there you go. Hey, you're um, forty nine. I'm sorry. You're forty nine to one balance. You, you you have there. Um, do you just use the coax as a counterpoise? Do you do you recommend any? Is there a place on that to put a, uh, a counterpoise or something? Yeah, you can do it either way. You can put the counterpoise on the on the binding post, or yeah. or use the coax, uh, and then put a choke down the line. You know, thirty feet down the line, and use the coax yeah. as a well. You know, I'm not a real antenna person, but um, I built some um, uh, uh, vertical. Uh, I've got a half. Let's see, I've got a, a three eighths weight vertical out there and a half weight vertical on forty. Uh, Martin Pugh, I, I was telling him all about my 3 eighths. He says, you ought to try a half wave. So I, I put up a half wave, and I built a little matching uh, deal for it. And uh, uh, But, you know, it didn't work well, and just the length of coax is critical as far as the counterpoise on there. And I, I did a lot of research on that. And if you, a lot of this research comes out of uh, uh, Europe. And it's lambda. They call it a lambda. You know, I guess that's a wavelength, maybe. Is that what that is, uh, Alan? Lambda? You know, Alan, you there? Lambda, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was uh, yeah. I was busy answering a question in the chat. Oh, <laughs> la- lambda? They, 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 talk, they talk about lambda like it's a wavelength or something. Is that, yes. Is that referred to wavelength? Yes. yes. So anyway, lambda. I found out, I found out that the, especially people selling these one-sixth or these uh, one to 49 uh, balance and the antennas, infids, showed it worked best when they used one-sixth lambda. I guess that's one-sixth of a wavelength. So I had a great big M&M's jar, and I just wound me about, you know, eight or ten turns of my RG8 around that thing at, at about one-sixth wavelength there, and, man, it just works perfect. The counterpoise, yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple questions in the chat room. Um, one is, do you guys have anything for VHF, UHF tuners? No. No, typically a VHF or UHF antenna has a wide enough bandwidth to cover most of the band. So we, we don't get uh, a lot of calls for that. Occasionally we do, but not very often. Something near and dear to my heart is, do you have any holiday sales promotions planned? No. <laughs> we don't do sales we uh all of our products are purchased through the dealers uh, ham radio outlet uh giga parts uh, dx engineering rnl you know all the major dealers mm-hmm. uh, so we don't we don't do any direct sales 
Well, maybe they have sales, though. Maybe they got a Christmas special. Yeah, I hope so. I know Gigaparts does. I think I personally keep them in business. <laughs> well, hey, I, uh, I was saying and during the show or before the show, I think I've got at least four LDG tuners roaming around the house somewhere. <laughs> well, I, uh, I was reading the chat room before the show started, and there were a lot of great comments about uh, LDG and how you guys took care of them when they would send their uh, tuner in for repair. So uh, that's that's uh, good news. Oh, that's great! That's great. Well, I love the way you guys make the tuners, you know, specific for the various rigs. Because I've got the FT eight forty seven and the FT nine fifty versions, and uh, really have liked those. That's getting harder to do. They're making so many new radios now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're all good. Well, you know, Glenn, I don't, I, I, I don't even care to interface it to the radio. You know, I mean, you know, do you want the cable for the seventy-three hundred or the cable for the FT, whatever? I mean, I just like to send a little power down, and let it tune itself. I, you know, eliminate. I'm, I'm lazy. I just get the one that matches the rig. Yeah. You know, yeah. I remember we talked about this lazy thing earlier. Yeah. Right on. You know. <laughs> Plug it into my FT450 and push the tune button and go. See, I don't know. How much lazier can I get? I don't even push the tune button. I know. I saw that. It just tunes by itself. You know? I'm I'm thinking about something like that for my car. So, so, and that little uh, tuner that I was mentioning earlier, too, uh, I I have tried to run mobile uh, with it uh, here on... I've got a I've got a Silverado pickup truck, and it has a terribleless RF noise. It sounds like it gurgles and coughs. The fuel pumps sending out all kinds of garbage, and I've I've tried to ground everything. I've done so much filters, everything, but uh, the antenna I was going to use again, I don't like having to stop the car or truck in the rain, go back to the go back to the antenna and move the clip to a different you know uh, turn on the on the uh coal and you get back in the truck and then tune all the knobs and get tuned up so what i did i just put a 102 inch whip on there and i put that little auto tuner back there and hey right from inside the truck man you go to 20 meters you just hit transmit it's tuned you go to 75 meters it's tuned you know well you know the, the chat room had the better solution for that what was that Get a new truck. New truck. Well, <laughs> my my Jeep and my Explorer do not have any RF noise. Yeah, and that but you regard. know, uh, you know, hey, here's here's my feelings lately about that. If I put if I put a seventy three hundred something in there, I got a thousand dollar radio in there that somebody is going to always try to break in and steal. Well, and, that's what uh, AWRL insurance. And now, is for. hey, hey, now I'm playing with some little remote base stuff from here. Plus, you know, in your in your truck, you only oh, have yeah, an antenna that's t- eight foot tall. Hey, I'm playing with some little remote base stuff I, I'm playing with here, and I just take a tablet in the truck, and I can hook, connect into the radio here at the house, run power, and have an antenna up eighty feet, and nobody's going to steal it. You know? Yeah. I, and, and let I don't me know. tell you, I'm you old guys, school. you guys are probably read this someplace there's there's some but there's some radios if you have and people might break the window out and they might just leave an extra same type radio 
in yeah, the seat there. Yeah, I mean, you, you leave, leave one on the seat and you come back and there's five. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a few of those radios out there. I, I'm not going to get into it, though. <laughs> Here's another question from Charlie in the chat room. How do tuners and tube amps get along, and which do you tune first? That's a good question. Um, you definitely tune the tube amp into a dummy load first. And then the second part of that is you have to watch the power level when tuning with a tube amp because they can put out full power into any SWR load. And that's where you start getting some high voltage and some high currents. Things will smoke then. Dwayne, the the procedure I use, I I have the amp off. I, 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 I... my my uh, seven six ten here runs about thirty watts. That's all I need to drive my amp. So uh, you know, the 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 uh, the uh, amp is off. The I put a little carrier out there from the rig. It tunes the tuner, and then I just turn the amp on. It's you know it's tuned. I mean, w- once it's tuned, then I can peak the amp. You know. Uh, to get it, you know, you should have fifty ohms. So yeah, if you yeah, you it should. To a dummy yeah, load, yeah, and you you should be out. just transfer it over. It works out really well. Yeah. Hey guys, we got uh, we got about thirty more minutes that we're going to be here because our show is two hours long on shortwave. I'm going to post a link in the chat room if anybody wants to join us on Zoom. I'm going to open a Zoom link up and let you guys. Come in here in case you got a question. I just posted the Zoom link. Click on that and you can join us. So, uh, again, we've got 30 minutes left uh, on our shortwave uh, segment. And if you're out there listening on WBCQ out of Monticello, Mass- Monticello Maine, I almost said Massachusetts, Monticello, Maine, uh, you're listening to a ham radio show, amateur radio, and uh, it's called Amateur Radio Roundtable. We're glad to have you. And we got Carlos uh, in here from Uruguay. He, he's just joined us. He'll be in here in a minute. Um, I, I'm probably going to jump out of here. So okay. My bedtime here, but uh, I got to get up early and head down to south. But uh, Mark, Dwayne, nice to meet you guys. Nice to have you on here tonight. Charlie, good to see you. And uh, I said I'm going to have to jump out. But uh, great show tonight. Thank you. All right. And thanks, yeah. uh, thanks, Alan, for being here. Hey, while, while we had a little break point here, let me just mention everybody uh, – uh, Raisa uh, R1BIG will be back with us next week from St. Petersburg, Russia and uh, if you've never seen any of her uh, videos uh, you'll be really impressed uh, she'll have a new video for us uh, uh, she is one of the happiest ham radio operators I've ever seen and she goes out to these historic places they're beautiful and historic places and puts uh, antennas up in the trees. She puts them up herself, uh, and she operates there. It may be from a, a, a tower. Uh, she climbs uh, like an, a fire tower to maybe a Russian fort. But uh, I don't know what, what she's going to show us next week, uh, but uh, please join us next week. Uh, Raisha will be back uh, with us. All right. So, Charlie, how you doing down in Uruguay? Hello. Hey, Charlie. Great, great show tonight. Well, good. So, very interesting. Both the Alan's uh, 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 FFT uh, part and, of course, the the uh, LDR, right? LDR. 
uh, tuners. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really great show. All right. Well, have you got any new projects going, or are you still working on your Geiger counter? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I found something radioactive at home. Did you? What did you find? Yeah. yeah. Well, you found something? Yes. In fact, I have it here. There's a big hole in the ground, and it's got a cover. And yeah, it's got a big piece bag. of metal in it, like a tube or something. <laughs> yeah, it had a big yeah. metal tube inside. So, so this is the counter, and if I open this... <laughs> What is that? Jar. Oh, hold cookies? it up. Hold it up a little. Hold it up a little higher so I can see it. The the the, the jar. Hold the jar up a little higher. All right. There you have it. So this is really okay. Well, what? let me see. What is that? Looks like look like a couple of onions in a in a glass. What no, is tell what they it is. are. And I remember I went running to this. This is from this old. Um, how do you call it? Lamps that uh, you put some, like, uh, kerosene on them. Was oh, that the old lava lamp? lava lamp? No, 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 no. Lamps for when you go camping. Oh, oh, okay. And it, and they have this, like, it's like a piece of, of cloth. It oh, has the mantle. A, the mantle, exactly. Exactly. And uh, which gives a really bright white light, you know. It's really good. But I remember, I suddenly remember one day uh, that, I don't know if it was my father that says, oh, that's radioactive. I don't know how he yeah. knew. Yeah. And so I remember I had one like hidden somewhere and went running and in fact radioactive. It's, All right. There you yeah. go. Very cool. Hey, yeah. so uh, uh, Charlie, do you, uh, do you have uh, LDG products down in Uruguay? Uh, any, anybody using LDG down there that you know of? No, I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't know, but probably. Yeah, okay. Yeah, why not? All right. Uh, I, I don't have myself. Uh, I've just got a tuner the other day. Remember I told you? Yeah. And, uh, yes. So, so, but what? But there are many things here that people, because people... Maybe the other day I I, I had, didn't finish the whole story, but the we have a couple of laws here in Uruguay that uh, are really um, good uh, for ham radio operators, which were uh, like, for example, we have a law that give us the the by law we have a, a right to put an antenna. So it's no like nothing goes over that law. I mean, I can go anywhere on any house and put an antenna. I I have the well, I bet right. Your neighbor's gonna love you. No, well, but but I mean, it's not that the homeowners association say uh, no antennas. I'm sorry. Uh, well, we don't <laughs> we don't have that in the U.S. We usually are told no. Yeah. 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 So. So that's a really, well, of course, it, you have to have all the insurance for the antenna and everything. But that's another story. But, all right. but you hey. have the law that, that uh, gives you the, 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 the right to have the antenna. That's great. So hey, that, we got, very we, cool. We've got an Uber. We've got an Uber that just joined us. Hello, Uber. How you doing? <laughs> Mike. Uh, I Uper? thought it was Uper. Uper. I don't know what it is. I can't, I'm from the south, man. Is it a Uper? 
Uber, upper? Uper. Come on, Mike, unmute your mic here. Yeah. Mike, you're muted. We're talking about you. <laughs> oh, muted I so we don't hear all the four-letter words. <clears throat> oh, man. Uper, Uper, Uper. And you'll find it in the dictionary. Y-O-O. Yeah, somebody in the chat room just uh, reminded me how. Uh, yeah, no, Y O O P E R. You'll Uper. find it in the dictionary. All right. Where Uper is. Now, is that just a small area up there, or is it the whole state? It's just a small no, area, it's right? Just the, uh, the Upper Peninsula. Okay. We have the Lower Peninsula, which is downstate Michigan. And then you got the UP, as we call it, the Upper Peninsula. Uh, okay, I got you. So that's where we get the Uper from. Hey, we're from up in the UP. We're not from downstate below there, hey? Oh, okay. So now your your map there looks like uh, a hand, right? Have I got the no, wrong, the, the, I got the wrong state? That's the lower peninsula. Have I got the wrong state? Is it, oh, that's the, this is the lower? Yeah. But it's like this? I thought yeah. it was like this. I put it up that way, yeah. I thought it was like this. Mm. That's the the mitten is downstate. There's Detroit down here. Okay, all right, man. But then you got to cross that Mackinac Bridge to get to the UP. All right. Well, someday we're I'm actually going attached to, to Wisconsin. All right. But everybody thinks we're from up in Canada. If you go any <laughs> farther, I'm I'm right on Marquette. I'm right on the I'm, I'm a mile from Lake Superior. So if I go. If I go straight across Lake Superior, I'm in Canada. Everything I've north just, of the Pacific Western is kind of a, a blur to me. I've <laughs> so just Mike, checked the web with the word Uper, and it says you're some kind of troll. <laughs> now the trolls are downstate. All right. They, hey, okay. So we, Mike, I don't know. Mike, uh, have you in the, in the Lower Peninsula because we've got the five-mile-long Mackinac Bridge, and they are below the bridge in the Lower Peninsula. So those are the trolls. Have you uh, had any snow yet? You use your snow blower yet? I've had to have it on a couple times already. Oh man! Yes. I feel sorry for you. Oh, 10, 12 inches we had the other day. That's nothing. Ten or twelve inches. Let's see. We get ten or twelve inches. It would take us eighty years to get that much. <laughs> a bunch of wimps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. hey, hey, uh, degrees uh, this morning. So, uh, so Mark and Dwayne, the show kind of goes crazy the last 15, 20 minutes here, man. Um, Perfect. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I found it interesting. I've got the 1000 Pro sitting here. That's what you I got. The 1000 Pro, okay. Yeah, I uh, I bought that because I got my 7300. I got an older uh, Ameritron AL11 H. The H or just the? I got the H. Okay. And that puts out 800 watts. Yeah, which I, I usually run it maybe at five, but uh, yeah, it, it was, and then I've got the uh, so that's why I went with the the one thousand. Uh, so it, it went, and then I got an old uh, Swan uh, analog meter hooked up at the end of it, so I can actually see the needle go up and down. Oh, there you go. Just <laughs> to make one, I think I talked to you guys one time, and they said oh, well, there was one. They used to they make it, but then they they stopped. Yeah, the M one thousand. Yeah, we uh, we discontinued that after a while. But yeah, uh, so I got a Swan 
WM uh, 1500 watt, uh, 1500 uh, analog meter. I'm one of the old school that still likes to watch the needle go. Yeah. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're just watching the flashing red lights. I go, and I was so used to it. I got sitting over behind me. I got a Americon uh, ATR 10 manual antenna tuner, which will tune up to 2000 watts on that, that old thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, on the, on the desk behind me, right there. Oh yeah, yep. Uh, uh, well, we were one. all uh, we were all looking at um, Dwayne's uh, HW one hundred and one earlier there in his shack, and uh, boy, I say, yeah. man, that that was just a great radio. You know, you know. Yeah, I built one of those back in the seventies. You know, you know, Dwayne, I built uh, the one hundred. I paid $259 for it, new. That was without the power supply. Of course, I home-brewed the power supply. But um, I think 20 or 25, 25 years later, I sold that radio for $250. Yeah. I, mean, it's amazing. I wish I hadn't sold mine. It's amazing how how ham radio uh, holds, certain ham radio holds its value, you know. Yeah, I keep the Kenwood 450 over there. That's my, my backup system over there. I just, you know, I, All right. That, that, that gets me. That gets me my radio signal out of the UP to set up here. <laughs> yeah, Ron says he built an HW100 this summer between the tenth and eleventh grade. I I think I built my uh, HW100 somewhere around nineteen seventy, about nineteen seventy. I was in the, in the Air Force and. Uh, Hey, Uncle Sam gave us a $250 raise per year. And the HW100 came out, it was $249.95. Man, it was just perfect. So you spent that whole year's raise right then and there? I did, I did, man. And that's the first time I, you know, I mean, that was my my moving into sideband. You know, I was AM before that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the 101 was my first... HF sideband as well. Yeah. I uh, my first radio was uh, the Ace of One Hundred and One E, which oh. I know Rowling Rowling isn't listening to the FCC because it was actually purchased back in the seventies when we were all in CB radio and wanted to go on the different frequencies. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Actually, that's how I got into ham radio. I had no idea what ham radio was. Uh, group of us was CBers. Uh, we were together and I went on and bought this 101 e mm. and I could go over the legal 40 channels and I go holy wow it's uh, quiet here and no screaming and yelling and I could hear conversations going back and forth and we, we could talk well quiet nights I'd sit there and just listen to the hand bands they didn't transmit on while I was actually on the 11 meters not full meter but where I was but I uh I said boy this is we used to just send QSL cards to Post office box and never give out your name and address. Those days. Yeah. Well, you know, I never, uh, I, know, I never and, uh, was. I, I never listened was. to the, I listened to the ham radio operators, New York talking to Florida. My name is Mike K E E I L. Here's the call. I'm running for 100 watts of it. I said, "Wow, yeah, it's, it's interesting." And well, that's, uh, and I went on, got my novice license in '78, and went up there. So that actually is what got me interested in ham radio back in. Let's see, I was like. 
nine, ten years old. So that'd be like 1968, thereabouts. We were out in California visiting my great uncle, and he had a CB in his car. And that was kind of back before CB was popular. And he was working DX across the country. Well, and I'm I, like, uh, I never, that's cool. Yeah, I never got into the CB side. Uh, I have mixed feelings about CB. It's okay as a service out there. and then, But, I mean, there's a difference. But uh, I, I got started in ham radio as a shortwave listener. And, uh, you know, somehow I came up with one of these big, big old Zenith radios. You know, it stood about four and a half feet tall, about three feet wide. And, you know, I had the big dial on the front there with the shortwave bands on it and the magic eye tube and, and uh, that's where I found, uh, of course, I used to listen to places like Radio Moscow and Havana, Cuba, and Quito, Ecuador, and all those. And then I found the hams, and, and, and I think that's what spurred my interest. In, uh, uh, you know, mine and I just, I had no idea about what radios were. Everybody was getting a CB radio, so I, I got one. Somebody said, well, what are you running, sideband or? Ham? I said, I don't know. I've got 23 channels. What yeah. kind of antenna do you have? I said, I don't know. What so... Well, it turned out it was a, a PDL ground plane antenna, but I said, you got a vertical, you got a beam. I said, oh, I got this antenna they sold me that was <laughs> strapped to my chimney. Well, let's and, ask uh, uh, let's ask Dwayne this. Dwayne will, uh, not that I need to do this, but will your tuners, uh, they're not, they're not are, are they band specific? Would they, would they tune uh, a CB frequency? Yeah, they go from 500 kilohertz all the way up to 50 megahertz. So they'll tune anywhere in there. I mean, they're uh, you know not 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 specific bands, but just. Well, I like my all my antennas here right now are dipoles. Yeah, and I I have to give an announcement off the radio wave because I got the top uh, 75 meter double bazooka, the 40 meter radio wave double bazooka. I got the six meter radio wave double bazooka. I've got the radio wave skull. Man, you better be careful. The government's going to crack down on you with all those double bazookas there. <laughs> I, I, and they're heavy duty. They're broadband. I can go up and down and, and with the tuner. And I, I, my tri-bander's gone. The, the rotor it fell apart, and I just got too old messing up. So I, yeah. I simplified everything to nothing but uh, dipoles. But the, the tuner you know, tunes for me where I go because I uh, 75, I could be down at 39, uh, 36, 73 talking to some guys, or I could be on another group of uh, 39, 85, and on, on that antenna, and just kind of tunes it up and down. So, look at here. I got a, uh, I got a 40 meter double bazooka that uh, that Emmett sent me. I haven't even put it up. I, I've got so many antennas in the air. I don't know if I have room to. Yeah, I've got too much metal in the air right now. Yeah, I don't need I, anything yeah. else. Man. <laughs> yeah, I like the 40 and 80 meter uh, double bazookas. I got everyone's a individual lineup. Too. So the double bazooka. And, uh, the, the scout antenna, I, that's 20, 10 through 20. Uh, I never run more than 100 watts out of the scout up there. And uh, it, I, I don't DX, I, I don't contest. I'm like, I'm doing tonight, I'm a rag chewer. So if I hear him, I can talk to him. If I don't hear him, I don't talk to him. Yeah, well, it just gets gets me off for what I want to do. Yeah. You know, um, I've been a ham almost sixty years, and uh, I, I don't even have a single worked all states certificate. I don't have a I DX. Do I don't have a DXCC certificate. I've got a million QSL cards that I've collected over the years, but 
I never went in for any of the certificates, man. I do not have. I've I'm been licensed in '78, and I do not have a work to all state certificate. Even I don't care yeah. about that. Every time I get close, I end up moving. And I don't. I don't log anything anymore. If I talk to somebody, I talk to. Them. If I talk to somebody in. Now I, I remember the days when I could talk to Germany and, and Finland. Yeah, and yeah. Italy just with no problem, and I didn't care about QSL cards or keeping re records of it. It's like, uh, I know I talked to the guy. It doesn't matter to me if you cared whether I talked to him or not. So I. I, I I generally get a worked all states when we do field day, but it's not under my call. So what's the point? <laughs> I tell you, you know, the, again, honestly, be careful with all those double bazookas. You'll get in trouble. You know, yeah. <laughs> back when I was uh, back when I was in the Air Force, uh, I had a I had a top secret crypto uh, uh, security clearance, and uh, it got yanked on me. After about three months, they pulled it. Because they found out that I had received cards from Moscow and Havana, Cuba, so they pulled it out, and I, you know, I was I had to, I was outside there for about two weeks while they reinvestigated me and uh, talked to my neighbors and uh, found out, you know, that uh, I was probably an okay guy. I wasn't, uh, you know. I was the only just, thing that the, the only thing that uh, the, my tuner doesn't want to tune right up on is my uh, homemade one sixty. Typo I've got out there, and it just doesn't want to. No, he just doesn't want to tune that thing. So I, I usually just put it in bypass, and in my seventy three hundred, I hit the tune on that, and it tunes for what I want. Well, that's so I, uh, that's interesting. Uh, maybe Mark or Dwayne can uh, uh, shed some light on that. So with his LDG tuner, he, this antenna will not tune at all, but his internal tuner tunes it. That seems strange. What do you think? Oh, there could be a lot of different things. What do you think, Mark? Feed line length? Could be that. Could be uh, could be the uh, just the steps, right? The cap size. The, the configuration. Maybe it's not an L tuner, the one in the, the in the transceiver. It's maybe it's a pie. That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I talked to so a you have more every range. Night, every night I talked on uh, 1935 where I got the antenna basically cut for. Well, you know, hey, if you've got a, a barrel connector and another piece of coax, say, I, I, I'd stick another 10 or 15 feet of coax on there and try it. That might just solve your problem, man. Yeah, I uh, got a lot of extra, so maybe I should probably shorten that to be Well, yeah. I, I, I've got RG uh, uh, going out to a, a current balance and then my wire from. Well, if you if you shorten it, you're gonna have to solder the connector back on. I mean, hey, just a real quick uh, a test would be just put a barrel connector in there and add you another twenty feet to it and see what happens. Well, that's easy enough to do. Yeah. Yeah. And if it, if it, just, uh, if that just, just doesn't it, want, want, want to tune it, I mean, the lights just keep blinking and blinking and blinking yeah. and blinking. If if it uh, tune, if it doesn't want to tune it, if I just put it in the bypass and I hit the, uh, and I I tune the same way you do. I uh, yeah. I turn the amp on, but I don't turn it and transmit. And uh, right, I'll uh, I usually go thirty-five watts exciter, and uh, uh, I'll do do the tuner on, on it. And then once I see that it's tuned, then I uh, you flip the amp on. Yeah, I put yeah. the amp on, and sometimes I got to tweak the amp just a little on the plate. Uh, yeah, bring her up from there, but uh, but the. Uh, yeah, for some reason, it could be my homemade uh, 160 dipole isn't the greatest. 
that I made. So I'll probably have to go uh, and, and get a, a 160 double bazooka from Radio Wave. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, uh, hey, I'm really glad to have Mark and Dwayne on here tonight. And we've been talking about getting them back on kind of regular and, you know, talking about different things. Uh, they can uh, share with us some other interesting projects that you're working on. Well, really appreciate it, Tom. So yeah, you guys, uh, you guys get back with us here uh, real quick. We will, Tom. We enjoyed being on here. It's been great. All right, well, hey guys, we got five more minutes left in our time slot for shortwave. Um, what else do we need to talk about here? Did anybody join us on Zoom that hadn't chimed in? Let's see. I think we. Nope. Everybody's talking. Okay. We got a lot of shy people out there. They they. They won't call in. So uh, the, the yeah, other I, thing I, I wanted to to tell uh, about the other law we have it's that uh, we we have um, lots of import taxes uh, uh, exempt for for if you buy uh, ham radio equipment. So, so you're if you're exempt. Exempt. So if you demonstrate that your your equipment is for your ham radio station, yeah, you have no import taxes. Okay, which is really great, except that you have like the you have a pretty high. Uh, it's uh, the the bureaucracy cost, like you have to have the the all the they don't they don't call it taxes, but it's a ah, it's a fixed a cost markup. you have. It's a markup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a fixed cost me. you have that that uh, makes. For example, if I want to import something that costs two hundred dollars, it would cost me three hundred of cost. So Ooh. it's not worth. Ah, hey, that plus shipping. Plus shipping. That reminds if me. I, you know, people are going to get their money like that. That reminds me when when I started going to Europe quite often and we were getting buildings we were getting all we we're setting up offices in europe and we would get a lease we would we would pay a lease to get a building but guess what you don't get the key if you want the key it costs extra money <laughs> yeah it was called key yeah money. no but this is okay yeah. the thing is that it's the same cost that when you import anything else the thing is that it only uh, starts to make sense if you bring something that costs around a thousand dollars then it yeah. makes sense yeah so so if not you pay the taxes and that's it so but what i was going to tell that so i never myself made use of that but i know that lots of people brought really great uh, equipments using that law of course mm -hmm. But uh, what I what I was going to say is that we we don't have here like like a, a HRO or or places like that or that the engineering that you go and buy different stuff. Yeah, we don't have here. Maybe you have the 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 uh, distributors of uh, some of the big big names, but for commercial uh, equipments, and you can ask them to import a specific unit. But for example, the, the thing that I go is that here, 
sometimes you find really uh, particular brands and equipments that people bring themselves using mm -hmm. this uh, this uh, exemption or on taxes. And and what I, I was going with all this is that uh, most probably there are some uh, tuners from you that that are here and we don't know. I don't know of, but but you can find lots of different things here <laughs> in in euro one yeah, yeah because people brought them themselves so it's not like you can buy them you 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 cannot go to a shop and buy them but if you bring uh, lots of equipments on one of those uh, uh, imports you bring whatever you want all right hey guys on, on zoom uh stand by a second don't go away uh we're gonna close the show here uh, our video show and uh just want to invite everybody back next week uh bring a friend with you and uh, if you're out there listening on shortwave you can join our show live on tuesday nights from uh at, at 8 p.m on tuesday night central time it'll be 0100 utc on wednesdays just by going to W5KUB. Good night, everybody. We enjoyed having you and uh, a lot of good questions in the chat room tonight. Uh, same as everybody, and good night.